and welcome to the Markcast. I am Mark Jorgensen, the host and creator of this podcast. Uh, the Markcast is the show where we interview people who are doing amazing things. So for this episode, I interviewed Laura Shin. Laura Shin is a frequent contributor to Forbes and a number of other uh, business outlets um, on a freelance basis. She writes on a number of topics. Uh, right now, she's focused on Bitcoin and fintech, which are financial technology companies. And she's written several books on personal finance uh, aimed at millennials and other people who are looking to manage their finances that, that are fairly not young or they're doing it in non-traditional ways. Um, so we had a great conversation. We talk about a lot of things related to her work. Um, she just recently started a company which actually helps organize freelancers. So if you're a writer or doing some other kind of job on a freelance basis, you're able to manage your finances and manage your time well. Um, she's been doing freelance full-time for three years and done it off and on for about 10 years. And uh, we can discuss how she got into that and advice for people that want to do freelancing and uh, all, all a lot of other great things, just about travel and all kinds of stuff, which is kind of typical on the Markcast. So um, just a reminder, um, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher, please comment, please uh, leave a review. Um, that just helps with the ranking and helps the show get better well-known or share the show with a friend. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening in. So um, here's Laura Shen. Enjoy. This is a question which maybe um, you have an opinion on. So I, I spoke with a, a financial manager, and his concern was that in a lot of the financial media, um, it, it may actually, you know, harm some of Americans, uh, you know, financial security in the sense that it might, you know, at times encourage people to buy high and sell low um, when, you know, that, that may not be in their best long-term interest. Um, now, clearly the financial, and there's a lot of, there's a, a big service the financial media provides, but do you think to some extent for people looking just to invest long-term, you know, for not necessarily people that are like looking just to like make a lot of money, you know, like the big time investors, but just kind of for regular investors, you know, is there some harm being done there by some of the financial media? Like, um, you know, I think you see a wide range, um, there's definitely um, kind of like traditional personal finance journalism um, where, you know, people are encouraging um, readers to, uh, you know, buy diversified portfolios, hold them for the long term, um, you know, not uh, put all your eggs in one basket, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet, it is true, of course, that uh, there is media that closely tracks the markets, um, which really, you know, to my mind, is aimed at a different type of consumer. But there are definitely um, some audiences who uh, can't really distinguish. Um, so to right, go so right. far as to say that there's right. harm maybe is not where I would go. But, um, you know, I think there could be more education and the media could do yeah. a better job of, you know, explaining which type of advice is appropriate for which type of investor. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's, that seems like a good assessment to me. Um, and so you worked, so you worked full, full time for a number of years, um, and then you switched to being more of a freelancer and, uh, and you contribute a lot of articles to Forbes and other outlets. Um, what was kind of involved in that career decision you made to, kind of leave the full-time work and kind of more work for yourself as, on a more basis? What, how did that work for you? Um, I've always wanted to freelance, actually. Uh, I um, 
I guess you could say I sort of fell in love with the lifestyle uh, when I was a senior in college. And for the last quarter, I didn't take any classes. I just worked on my thesis. And I remembered just loving uh, being in control of my own time and, um, you know, doing the writing and the researching that I wanted to do. And so it was actually always a goal of mine, uh, even, you know, going back to when I was 20. And um, it took me a while to get the skills that are necessary to make freelancing work. Um, I had actually tried it once in my 20s. And um, <laughs> what, what, what are the it skills did, mainly you think that you need to make it work? To just like a specialized knowledge of something you think that people are willing to pay for? Or? Yeah. So um, having a beat helps enormously um, because that, that makes you the go-to person for that topic or set of topics. Um, whereas if you're more of a generalist, then um, editors won't necessarily think of you first for certain story ideas. And yeah. you also um, won't necessarily hear about certain ideas before, you know, the before everybody else. Whereas like now I'm constantly being pitched ideas. And so I kind of have the news before other people. And then mm. not only that, but, you know, the work that I do is just better because I have um, deeper knowledge, uh, whereas somebody who is more, you know, a generalist would have to get up to speed on every single thing they write on. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, you know, I really lacked personal management, personal money management skills. Um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until quite a while later that I really figured out how right. to budget and save and <laughs> stuff like that. And, um, then ironically now that's, uh, what I, <laughs> what I, um, advise people on in my writing. Although, although, um, having had the experience of, um, you know, I, I guess <laughs> sort of, um, yeah. disastrously managing my own finances, yeah. I feel like I really know what it's like to, to not get it. And so it helps me explain it better uh, well, to my what audience. Would, what would you say? I mean, that, that's, that's good insight. I, what would you say is more important? Just having like a backup, you know, having someone that can kind of help, help you out if you know a backup plan sort of thing. Or just being able to have like you know enough money to last you know a year or two years without a stable source of income. Like what what would is there a general wait? Do you mean as a freelancer? Or? Yeah, as a freelance as a freelancer. Yeah, we're speaking as freelancer. Um, so, uh, there. Okay, so there are a number of things. Um, but I actually so I actually recently launched a new website. It's called Ideas Words Empires. I saw that and. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a site for freelance writers. Um, it teaches them, you know, the editorial things as well, like how to pitch and um, research and stuff. But it also has this huge financial component because a lot of freelance writers do not um, really, you know, uh, not. I wouldn't say they don't know, but um, you know, they haven't maybe mastered um, how to uh, manage their finances on an irregular income. Yeah, and so. Um, the site, uh, goes into detail on like how to budget on an irregular income, um, how to save for retirement, how to pay down debt. Um, it also goes into, well, I mean, I just launched it, but it will cover things like, you know, setting up a business structure for yourself, uh, different kinds of insurance you need. Um, you know, really yeah. just like the business aspects of, of what is essentially running your own business, uh, which I think a lot of freelance writers don't think of when they, 
start down this track, they just think, oh, I'm going to be writing all the time. But really, you are running your own business and you need to think like a business owner. So um, what I would recommend for freelancers is um, having some steady gigs. So that way you enter every month knowing that, you know, you can cover some large percentage of um, your cost, your budget. Yeah. Yeah. So like at least 50% would be great. Um, And uh, so that would be one thing. Um, Another thing would be if, so let's say that you're full-time now and you want to um, start freelancing. Um, I would have, I would recommend that you save up you know, a certain amount in emergency savings. Um, you know, a lot of financial planners recommend six months as kind of like the general rule of thumb for everyone. Um, I have heard a range of recommendations for freelancers. One, um, place recommended a year, a year's worth of emergency funds for, um, freelancer. I mean, there's, you know, all kinds of, um, individual, uh, factors that would influence what numbers right for you. Um, but you know, just having something saved up is a good idea. And then, um, I would also say, like I said earlier, having an area of expertise, um, then setting up what I call a paycheck account for yourself where, um, you might be receiving the income in an irregular way, but you are paying yourself in a regular fashion. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do, uh, to make freelancing, um, more sustainable financially. And it's really important to take care of all this stuff because if you don't, um, then the money worries will get in the way of you being able to concentrate on your work, which therefore then, um, leads you to not doing as well and probably not getting repeat assignments. And that snowballs into you, um, you know, applying for full-time jobs again. So... (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what do you, I mean, I think this is a very timely idea. I mean, there's a lot more freelancers working in the economy, um, in the writing world and as well as just, you know, in other parts of the, uh, the economy as well. Um, but, uh, do, do you see this as just kind of being the future that we're at just more and more freelancing and more and more of like this gig economy? Or do you see, you know, there's kind of, we'll get to a tipping point and then maybe kind of back off. Uh, and kind of get more back to, uh, I guess, more full-time structured employment. What's kind of your view Um, No, I definitely see that this is going to keep increasing. Um, So the the numbers on um, uh, the percentage of people who freelance are not great. Um, I think the GAO was studying it and then stopped in some year, like 2006. And a couple years ago... um, I think it was Freelancers Union, along with this, the company that's now called Upwork. Yeah, they right. did a study that was the first, um, you know, kind of comprehensive study in. I think it was like eight years, eight or nine years, yeah. um, and then the following year, I believe the GAO said it was going to start looking, uh, doing that kind of analysis again. Um, and I think it is because, you know, we have things like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and there's just so many more ways for people to make money as contractors. And you see a lot of companies that are outsourcing their tasks, um, you know, specific tasks. Um, you see a lot of freelancers hiring other freelancers. Um, there's just, there's a lot more, um, I guess maybe fragmentation in the way that we work. Um, and I actually think that there are certain trends in technology that are only going to make this, 
um, even more likely. Well, um, what are those I trends? Think, what, what, what trends do you so mean? So I've been covering Bitcoin a lot. Oh, yes, and, of course, yeah. Um, and Bitcoin, you know, is basically like peer-to-peer cash, yeah, meaning, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the, the best analogy would be um, that prior to email, in order to send a letter to somebody, you would need to use excuse me, um, a third party, which would be, you know, the U S postal system to send that letter and email enabled us to just send the letter directly. Um, Bitcoin, uh, the currency is very similar in that, um, you know, uh, if you use traditional banking then, or, or the traditional money, traditional financial system, you need to go through a third party, which would be a bank to, um, to transfer money from someone to, uh, to another party. And, um, with Bitcoin, uh, you're essentially using software to do that. And so you can basically transfer the money in a peer to peer way. And, um, it can be fairly instantaneous. If I were to transfer money to you from my bank account now, that would take about three days, but with Bitcoin, it can take about 10 minutes the ability for us to trade yeah. uh, our assets directly with one another is going to, I, I personally believe it's going to explode um, over the next 10 or, or 20 years. That's the, next so, big, that's the next big thing, you think? <clears throat> yeah, and, and that feeds back into the <clears throat> idea of freelancing growing in yeah, the sense that yeah. there's just going to be more ways for people to make money um, from multiple income streams rather than from one main employer. But that then underscores the need for people to um, create for themselves the apparatus that you would normally get from a full-time job, such as a retirement account, the different kinds of insurance that you need, like all that stuff. And that's you know what my site is about. So you launched that about a month ago or a couple months ago. And uh, so far, I guess you've gotten pretty decent feedback from people you've uh, you know, worked with. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are liking it. I, I, so I started posting stories in February, but I actually only announced it last week. So, um, it, I don't think anybody was looking at it before last week. Uh, so it's still very early, but, um, yeah, I've gotten good feedback. And you did some work with, um, oh, the girl, uh, Alexa, um, the girl that has the Spotify commercials uh, for that. Is it called LearnVest or? Yeah, I used to work there. Oh, okay. How was your experience there? Um, it was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of the fintech companies, um, which is uh, like another big trend, uh, which is actually the, the precursor to what I was talking about with Bitcoin. Um, essentially, all of our financial services are sort of becoming unbundled. Um, and these different startups are attacking uh, different financial services and starting to offer them themselves. So um, the piece that LearnVest is going after is financial plans, you know, with um, these different financial technology firms, which are generally called fintech firms, um, the data is like continuously being operated, uh, uh, updated. So, um, you know, there's these new student loan uh, service providers that are able to give better rates to people who went to certain schools or who have a certain amount in their retirement accounts. Um, there's, you know, uh, like obviously the peer to peer, uh, lending 
areas totally taking off. Um, you have payments, like all, all this fintech, the, they're, <laughs> these are the companies that are going after what the um, traditional bank services yeah. um, have been offering. But the, the banks themselves, are they know what they're up against. And so they're also um, very, very um, uh, focused on keeping competitive so, I mean, I'm feeling like financial planning as an industry or for individual individual financial planners, um, you know, it's not really a great time, I think. You know, like in the future, I think unless you have some kind of a technology service you can provide people, um, you know, how, how are you really going to compete with as millennials, you know, and younger people, they're probably going to be more um, attracted to, you know, something different than the traditional sense. So, I, I mean, how are you going to so, compete, really? So, um there's a couple things. So first of all, um, amongst, so, okay. So there's kind of a spectrum, which gives, um, gives consumers different options in terms of what they want and need for the stage in their life. So you have, um, the really just the straight up so-called robo advisors, which are companies that use algorithms to come up with the best allocation for your portfolio, given your risk tolerance, your time horizon, uh, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, but then there's an offering um, from a place called Personal Capital, which combine it's it's like a hybrid service. They combine the technology along with access to um, your own uh, uh, financial planner. And I actually um, think that you know, so certain people at certain stages might be fine with you know something from Betterment or Wealthfront or the Motif. Um, they're called horizons. Um, that's the name of the diversified portfolio. Um, but then somebody, you know, who maybe is going through a lot of life changes, like maybe, uh, is getting married, wants to have kids and, um, is also, you know, about to buy a house or something like that. They might want to talk to someone. Um, and so then a service like personal capital might appeal to them more where they can, you know, not only use the technology, but have, um, you know, that human touch, but so I wouldn't say that, you know, all of this is like pushing out traditional financial planners because a lot of them are actually taking advantage of the technology themselves. Interesting. That's um, that's interesting to know and good to know for financial planners that uh, may be listening. Um, j- just real quick, I just want to touch on one thing. So the proposed fiduciary rule, um, do you have any opinion on that and whether lobbying, you know, an election year, maybe that might affect whether this actually comes to be or not? Um, that, that, um, that that's being promoted, the Department of Labor. Uh, so uh, I have not followed this closely recently. Okay. Um, so I don't know if there are any new developments. Um, but I know uh, that there, it, <laughs> it's like a double-edged sword. Um, I think, of course, you know, people would like to see more people um, adhering to the fiduciary standard. Um, but I, you know, believe that there was a point and I, I'm not sure what the current state of things is now when, um, there were some in the industry that were worried that the standard itself is going to be watered down so much that in effect it would, um, you know, actually, um, <laughs> uh, right, I guess right. undercut kind of what the, what the goal is. So did you start out, um, you know, studying in college, the financial world. Um, wait, first of all, where did where did you grow up? What was your what was your background, kind of growing up? Where where did you? 
Oh, I'm from, I don't know why I'm laughing, but I'm from Ohio. Um, I'm from, so I was, I was born in Youngstown, which is, um, it's like never in the news except during elections because the presidential candidates all go there and talk about how they're going to revive this city. Uh, this happens like literally every four years it's been happening probably for my whole lifetime. And, um, we have yet to see it happen, but, um, then my family moved more to the Cleveland area. And so I went to high school there and, um, and yeah, so I I grew up in Northeast Ohio basically. So, um, interesting. So you grew up in Ohio and then, uh, you went to college, um, you went to Stanford. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, and uh, so, what did you study? Finance? Did you study or journalism no, in college? Or no. What was your? Would you study? My major. My major was called modern thought and literature, and it was in the humanities department. And it was, um, it was basically a combination of philosophy and literature. You would study uh, philosophical texts, and so you would explore the themes in those texts, and then you would read literature and um, and talk about you know, how those themes apply there. Um, so it was a lot of, uh, I guess, kind of like critical thinking and analysis and a lot of writing, a lot of writing. Um, I really had no interest in anything financial whatsoever. Um, that's why it took me so long to even just get a budget and you, you just earlier. wanted you just wanted to be a writer. You were just interested in writing, then, yeah, right? in college. Yeah, so you saw much. yourself as like writing novels or doing some kind of something in the publishing world, or what? What would you um, see yourself as? I doing? guess I saw myself as a journalist. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I was on the school paper, and um, I don't know. I I did I did try fiction a little bit here and there, but uh, it's not something that I really did. Uh, I just. I really like learning new things and then writing about them. Um, so there's usually a real world component for me. Yeah. So philosophy was just, I mean, it was just something that really uh, fed that interest at the time. And then, uh, as you progressed in college, I guess after college, you just, um, you, you took some jobs that kind of led you more towards the financial world or how, how did that happen? Yeah. So I, um, so I actually just want to add about my major, um, my mom, now that I, uh, you know, write about financial stuff, she sure, sure. asked me recently, oh, do you wish that you had studied economics or something? <laughs> and I was like, no. And and the reason is because um, I believe that the major, it's not even that I believe, I know that the major that I had um, really taught me how to think. And in order to be a writer, um, you have to be able to think clearly. Um, good writing is basically clear thinking. And a lot of people don't understand that these days. I think it's why, um, writers are often undervalued. People tend to think that just typing something is like writing, but it's not, you need to be able to think clearly in order to write something well. And so that's what my major really prepared me to do. And that's why I would never, ever, ever study, have studied anything else. I feel like it was the perfect major for what I wanted. Um, and so after uh, after that, wait, was that a I, self-design major? Did you? Because I know at Stanford, no, no. I mean, a lot of times you can kind of <laughs> self-design your own major, but, but okay. no, it was an interdisciplinary major, okay. and it was okay. um, not very <laughs> popular. I think there were, <clears throat> I think there were eight people in my <laughs> class who who um, wow. majored in it. <laughs> Does it still exist? Does the department still exist? Um, and they still I have think to it only exists now as a grad program. Wow. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was, 
yeah. <laughs> well, there's been like a major gutting of the philosophy departments, right? In the last like 20 years in a lot of colleges, right? I mean, even. Um, I mean, I think my major was always small just because it was interdisciplinary. Like oh, okay. it wasn't philosophy. Philosophy was a different major. And I bet oh. there were a lot more majors in that. Sure. You know, mine was called modern thought and literature. Uh, the other thing about mine was like, you had to apply to be in it. It was like an honors program. So like you couldn't just be in that major. You like you, you had to apply. Um, so yeah, yeah. So it was, it was like, it was small. Um, but, (laughs) but anyway, so how I got into financial stuff is a bit of a long road, but, um, basically after college, I taught English in Indonesia for a year. Wow. One of the best experiences of my life. (laughs) Indonesia. Which which part of near Jakarta or some more rural um, area? I was based in Bandung, which is, uh, three sure. hours southeast of Jakarta. Okay. Uh, I think it's it's either the second or third largest city in Indonesia. I'm for I'm blanking for a second, but um, do you speak people, Indonesian too? I learned how to speak when I was there. Yeah, it's, okay. it's it's an incredibly easy language actually. If you're an English speaker, it's really 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 easy. So and good food, right? Uh, <laughs> no, it, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. I mean, yeah, it's all right. I don't. I don't. I like I. I, you know, grew to love uh, the different kinds of Indonesian food, but it's rather simple food. You know, it's a lot of like fried rice and uh, fried noodles, um, but I tended to eat more fish and, and the fish is really good. Um, anyway, so then I um, got, oh, I, I just landed this like part-time job at newsweek.com. And this was back when, it, back when like, so few traditional publishers were on the internet or not so few like i think many of them were just starting to get on the internet then so it's like the mid 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 or later later 90s or something right late 90s 90s. and it was not cool to be at the website wow really (laughs) but but the reason why it was great for me was because it was a small staff and so i got to do a lot more stuff than i would have been able to do if i had been at the magazine um yeah Right. You know, I just, I just learned a lot. I learned like even like a little bit of HTML that to this day is like super helpful. Um, wow. and so I was there for a while and, you know, essentially I'm not, I don't think I'm the world's best person suited to full-time employment. So, okay. um, right. I <laughs> sort of quickly went through some full-time jobs, um, Newsweek, uh, Newsweek's website, the wall street journal website, the New York times website, Wow. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to freelance. I'm going to quit now. I'm going to start freelancing. Uh, but this was like right before 9-11. And so, um, so it did not end up going as well as I thought because um, some of the publications that I had lined up gigs at, they closed within the first six months of my freelancing oh, after yeah. 9-11. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and I you know, was a mess with my money. Like I, I didn't know how to manage money. And I just didn't realize like, I just wasn't making enough money and I just needed to get that part of my life together. Yeah. And because I had never, you know, for whatever reason, paid much attention to my finances, I didn't understand really the depth of the trouble that I was in until a friend who is much more financially savvy than me pointed it out. And Uh. so, um, after a couple years freelancing is when I finally realized, Oh my gosh, I am in big trouble. I have a lot of debt And so, um, I ended up going back to full-time work and I decided to try something that was not journalism. Yeah. 
I realized I hated that. So I went to journalism school. Uh, but then I graduated in 08, which was um, a year when there were just no journalism Yeah, jobs. that was a bad year. Um, so it took me a wow. little bit more time to get back into journalism. But when I did, it coincided with me getting my personal finances in order. And that then helped me land the job at LearnVest because they liked, you know, I mean, obviously I had done my homework on personal finance by that point. But also they liked the experience, the, the fact that I had experience with debt, you know, um, just I think they you know, respected that, like I had gone through that knew how to get out of it, had gotten myself out of it. And, uh, that was something they felt their audience could relate to. And from there, um, you know, I learned more about personal finance and then, um, finally knew that I had the financial wherewithal and the journalist journalistic wherewithal to, to freelance. And, um, it will be my three year anniversary freelancing next month. Wow. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. So did, um, is it just, is it having a boss that really you felt constrained or is it just like that, you know, nine to five or nine to whenever that kind of like rigid constraint of time that you didn't like, you know, in all those jobs you did? I mean, I mean, was there anything, or is it just that desire to have, you know, your own, you know, your own projects and you know, kind of have control of what you work on and stuff like what? Yeah. It's, pick it's, out? It, hmm, so what is it? Uh, or, or just I, you just I have did, a free like, spirit and you just want to be doing your own thing or something. Yeah, I think it's a little bit that I want to be doing my own thing. Like, I, I can be very, very self-motivated, but uh, I feel like if I get bored, that this is essentially, I think, the, the biggest problem. If I get bored of something, like if it becomes too easy for me, yeah. I just don't want to do it anymore. So if I, like, learn something new, I'm excited in the time when I'm learning it. But then if I have to do it over and over and over again, I, I kind of don't want to do it anymore. It, so It seems like you also don't really like uh, need – you don't seek out the, the big crowds necessarily. You know, when a lot of people go to like teach English, you know, they, they would go to like Japan or China or somewhere. Like you went to Indonesia. And the major you picked was like kind of about, you know, it's a smaller kind of major. It was very selective. And, you know, at Newsweek, you were kind of in the smaller department, you know, before it was kind of like the, the much, much busier thing. I mean, I mean, you're not really seeking out the, the big crowds necessarily or like, you know, you're, you're on like LearnVest. I mean, that was, a, that was a new thing, but you don't really need to be, you know, doing what everyone else is doing necessarily to be successful. Right. Is that um, kind of the path less travel? I guess. So to speak, yeah, that's or? an interesting way to look at it. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess like for me, I, I have my own personal definition of success. And I know that I need to pursue that. And so, um, that like, I, I just can't pursue a different one that, that I don't feel is what I want. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in a way, like, I think the reason why I need to be freelancing is just, um, (laughs) I like being in control of my own destiny. You know what I mean? Like I like deciding what I'm going to spend time on and, and And like the freedom of like, I take these long vacations and nobody can complain. You know, I, I went to Turkey for like three and a half weeks once and, you know, I just tell people I'm on vacation, you know, I'll be back at this date and, you know, at a full-time job, like there would be a whole rigmarole, like you'd have to ask for permission. And then it's like, oh gosh, can we let her go for that long? And then, you know, then they resent you when you (laughs) before and after and like, you know, uh, Or even just small things. Like if I have friends that are visiting from out of town and, um, you know, they're here during the week, I can take off during the week and see them. And, 
I can do, I get my work done obviously. Um, but I do it on my own time and I feel like, uh, you know, it's not really important for the people, for my clients to know, uh, that I didn't work Wednesday. Like as long as, you know, I am clear with them about, you know, whether I'm around or not, or, you know, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I like being in control of my schedule. Interesting. Where, where do you like to travel? So you go to Turkey, you, you travel pretty frequently then or? Um, yeah, I, I did a great trip last year. I went to Chile. Uh, I went to the Atacama desert, which was amazing. And I went to the beach as well in Santiago, uh, like, like Valparaiso and Zabaya. Um, then I went to Scandinavia in the fall. Um, I, some friends and I met in Copenhagen for a few days, which was super fun. Um, and then I, uh, I was actually going to Sweden for this story I wanted to write. Um, but afterward I, uh, spent some days in Stockholm and I loved Stockholm. I did not, because you hear about Copenhagen a lot, I feel like, but I don't feel like people really talk about Stockholm, but I loved it. Like I'm actually thinking about trying to go back, uh, sometime in the next few months. I, I just need to figure out when Fli- fl- um, and flights are super cheap now. So, you know, for, as far as budgeting, it's pretty oh, easy really? to budget. Well, yeah, there's, um, there's Norwegian airlines, there's wow airlines. I mean, the, the cheap airlines, you can fly out of Baltimore or New York. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cheap. I just did a, a podcast actually with this guy named Gunnar Garfors. He's a guy from mm-hmm. Oslo. He's vid- visited every single country in the world. Oh, right. I saw that on your site. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he's great. And we had a great conversation, but yeah, he was talking about, you know, the cheap, um, th- those airlines are really helping open up um, kind of people getting there but he was still kind of frustrated that people they go to Norway and they just they stay in Oslo they don't go to the western coast of, of Norway where the fjords are um, really so yeah so he I mean, I'm sure many people do but he said you know that a lot of people on these cheaper flights they just kind of go in they fly into Oslo and then they just go to Sweden or something but they don't venture out into the wow nicer no area. well when I went to Scandinavia last fall I spent this one torturous afternoon trying to figure out if I had time to make it over to the fjords. Um, but then I realized because of my dates, I was going to get there like literally right when all the tourist stuff was shutting down. And I knew that there would be stuff that I would have wanted to do that I wouldn't get to do. So I decided that I would do a trip separately and just do like three weeks in Norway, um, and do it, you know, obviously when, when it's, you know, like July or something. Um, yeah. So that's also on my list at some point. <laughs> that's great. And you can, and you can. Yeah, I was actually in Chile too. I uh, just just a touch real quick. Um Valparaiso last uh yeah, last December. Um oh, really? it was amazing, yeah. And I made this little list of uh eight cities that are worth a day of your life or, mo- or more. And uh, Valparaiso definitely was on there. Um as well yeah. as uh, a place in Colombia to Medellin. But yeah, Valparaiso was amazing. That whole Chile, Chile was amazing in general. I liked it. Yeah, I had a great time there. The Atacama, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, one of my, so the reason I went to Chile is because one of my really good friends from grad school, she's from there and she's now living in Santiago. And she was telling me, she was just laughing hysterically because there's some, I forget, I think he's like French or some, something. He's living in Santiago now. Yeah. But she was telling me that in the year that he'd been living in Chile, he had been to the Atacama seven times. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I, after I came back, I was like, I understand why. Like, if I lived here, I would also go there all the time because it's so beautiful. It's And it's very varied, meaning um, every day I did something very different. Like, um, you can go to thermal baths. Um, you can go 
to, um, like there's a, a really beautiful valley where, you know, they do like sunset tours. Um, there's, uh, these little, they're called, uh, Lagunas Escondidas and they're, um, hidden lagoons. Yeah. They're, and they're so salty. The water's so salty. It's actually saltier than the Dead Sea. So you just float. I was like so happy in that, in that pool. I, wow. I was like the last one out. I just didn't want to leave. Um, and then there's geysers. Um, there's these just, you know, there's obviously the salt flats, uh, where there's like flamingos and, um, the vicuñas and, uh, I don't know, the landscape is just stunning. Um, and there's really good hiking and I don't know, it just, every day was super different in terms of like the different tours I did. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. I, I do want to go back because it's actually one of the best places in the world to look at the stars. Um, oh, really? The, just no pollution and no, uh, no, no, well, no, yeah. Hello. Hi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because there's no pollution, right? And, uh, the air is so clear because there's no, you know, it gets no rain. So. Yeah. Well, it's the world's highest altitude desert. And so I think the dry air, um, and right. then the height or the high altitude are, uh, what make it really good for stargazing. So there's all these like observatories and, and stuff like that. That's great. Well, that's good to know. Atacama Desert, northern Chile. A lot of people, they go down to the southern Chile because it has all the parks. Um, I, I think the, the Tierra del Fuego and all that in the yeah, south. But, uh, that's on my list. <laughs> but the north, the north. Um, I love to going down the coast. There's uh, all those signs um, which are warning people about tsunami warnings all along the coast, mm. which I don't know. The first time I saw it, it, it just – well, the first few times I saw it, I thought it was kind of funny because I've never seen that before. But uh, interesting. So um, travel is a great thing to refresh and I think adds a lot of you know energy to the work. Um, I think we want to just touch real quick on your book. So you have a book targeting at millennials and man- miss or managing their finances. It's called The Millennial Game Plan, uh, Career, Money, and – Secrets for Today's World. I think the title says quite a bit, you know, you're, you're targeting millennials and, you know, kind of what are like kind of the life hacks, or the secrets to kind of navigate this world. Because I think from a millennial perspective, a lot of people are younger you know, audience. They want to kind of know, you know, what are the secrets? You know, what do I not know about money or finance that will help me, you know, kind of get ahead or, or you know, catch up, you know, for people that are maybe behind a little bit. Um uh, what was the idea of that? Was that kind of a, a book where you just kind of wanted to gather all your thoughts? Um, was you know, how, how did that the book come to be? What was the ideation of that to you? Um, so uh, Forbes has started this ebook series, and okay. um, I think I I had written you know a few things here and there um, for that age group. So we worked up this idea, which. Um, actually pulls together a lot of different reporting that I've done because, um, not only, you know, do I write about personal finance and FinTech for Forbes, but I also write a lot about career and productivity. Um, so the book has, uh, a lot of, um, career tips. It talks about how the economy is changing. Right. Um, it, ta- it has different, um, I feature different millennials who have kind of ridden some of these new trends to success. Um, so for instance, uh, like the example of in American English, we would call them slashers if I remember correctly, but, Uh um, essentially there's this new trend to people taking on multiple roles. And one of the people that I featured was an author slash musician slash 
social media guru slash, you know, I don't actually remember what all the things were. Um, but he made money all those different ways. He, he Oh, I remember also he spoke. Uh, he was like a, a speaker. And so, um, you know, he uh, was it just exemplified this trend of how it's different uh, from before where people would kind of just have one job and one career. And now, um, you know, he's got like multiple irons in the fire. Um, then you also have this trend of, um, people making money online. Uh, so I had right. a guy who was doing that. He had, uh, different websites that were taking advantage of SEO to, you know, pull in advertising and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, so, so anyway, I, I talk in the book about um, things you can do right now in your career, like negotiating a raise for yourself or, or just negotiating for your, you know, for a salary at a new job. Um, then I also talked about a problem that I think is particular. Well, it's not particular to the millennial generation, but, um, they are the first, probably what you would call digital natives. Um, in the sense that, like, you know, for instance, I remember a time when, um, when, you know, people <laughs> didn't have cell phones right, and right, right, they right. used their landlines <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes you just couldn't get in touch with people. Right, right. Um, and, uh, the millennials, you know, they grew up with things like I am and, right. um, and cell phones and email. Just surrounded uh, by constant connectivity their whole life. Yeah. Right. And so I had one chapter on how to focus in an age of distraction, uh, with a lot of tips on, um, on staying productive despite, despite all of our technological distractions. Um, and then the book ends with, uh, some really basic financial principles that, um, so I'm going to actually just talk about the most important one, which is, um, that you should always try to earn more money because, um, the thing that uh, I think a lot of people think of when they think of budgeting and financial management is they always think about cutting costs. They're like, "Oh, I'm gonna get, a, I'm gonna get rid of that gym membership I never use. Oh, I'm gonna like stop buying lattes at Starbucks." Sure. Um, but you know, all of that only goes so far. Yeah, and what really a, moves the needle, right? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Is is just figuring out how to earn more money because if you, um, you know, get yourself a fifteen thousand dollar raise, I mean then keep buying those lattes, you know what I mean? Or maybe, (laughs) or maybe not like with abandon, but just, um, you know, it's going to go much further for you. Or if you come up with a good side gig, or if you, um, you know, start freelancing, like, like actually, so what I also would recommend is for earning more. Um, it's always best if you can leverage your existing skills, your professional skills to earn that extra money, because you're just going to get paid more for something that you, are particularly qualified to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I spent several years. My, my first job was um, at U.S. Airways. I was kind of in the corporate, um, a very corporate environment for uh, four, about four years. And I remember, like, you know, a year or two in, I, I was trying to, like, you know, expand out because I'd always been taught that by other kind of people I'd worked with in the past, you know, kind of always find a new income or start a new business. So that was kind of always in the back of my mind. And then as I would, you know, kind of tell us to colleagues, I was surprised with how many colleagues, really, that was kind of a foreign idea to them. And how, you know, I explained it to them, like, look, you you can't just rely on this one income. You know, you got to, like, have other stuff. And, you know, a lot of people would kind of, they'd kind of tap into that pretty quickly and be like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. But it was just kind of, it it was sort of a second nature or a third nature. It wasn't, you know, automatic. And I I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, it's not on most people's radars at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very unfortunate, I think. And that just, I think if you just explain it to someone, I think, you know, the people will, a light bulb will go on. Um, so the book, I guess you wrote the book, when, when did it come out? A year or two ago? How long? Um, two years ago. Okay, and then so do you tour and, like, speak on it, or how does that kind of go? I mean, what? Um, I, I mostly did, um, like, uh, interviews like this, like radio interviews. Oh, okay. Uh, there yeah. were, like, some Twitter chats. You know, it, since it's an e-book, it's not something that I can sign. All right. Well, that sounds good. Um, Laura, thank you very much for your time. Anything else you'd like to share, or is that... Pretty much good. We covered a lot of ground there. So. Yeah, we did. Okay. It was wide-ranging conversation. Right. Okay, great. Thanks right. so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Okay, thanks.